Welcome to Casting Nets, a real podcast. It's a real one, not a fake one, about real life and living faith. I am one of your hosts, Pastor Dave Rudot. I am with Pastor Will Harley. Hello. And we are here talking about 2 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, we are ready to go with everything we have to talk about I, I today. I thought we were here talking about Jesus. We are here to talk about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Who's found in 2 Timothy chapter 2. <laughs> Yeah, he likes to throw those curveballs every once in a while, just to keep us all on our toes. As we're looking at Second Timothy chapter two, we are, uh, of course, we are explaining God's word, and really, frankly, I'm ex- excited about learning from God's word and from actually learning in this conversation because you, dear listener, are joining in in a conversation between two pastors. We are looking at scriptures. We independently have looked at the scriptures and then came in today and said, "Let's uh, just talk about what we want to talk about." And uh, the the less we each know before we actually talk, probably the better the podcast is. Let's just, that's our little experiment. Uh, the less that uh, we've uh, actually rehearsed it, just uh, talk about it, um, so that it's more live, it's more real and authentic for you. But however, if we say something that uh, uh, offends you or uh, triggers you or some in some way, uh, please reach out to us because we may not have intended it. Um, also, uh, we would like to explain ourselves as well and, and join a conversation. A conversation is really our goal between you and us. Even though this is a podcast kind of going one way, we do like and appreciate it when the conversation comes towards us. Most people who uh, talk to us usually talk to us in person, but uh, you are welcome to reach out to us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, and you are also welcome to email us at castingnetspod at gmail.com. So without further ado, let's go into Second Timothy chapter 2. Sometimes when people think about Timothy, they think of the young man. And, and Paul in First Timothy chapter, in First Timothy talks about, uh, to Timothy, don't look down, don't let anyone look at, down on you because you are young. But right out of the gate in chapter 2, we are reminded that uh, Timothy was actually a seminary professor of a sort. Uh, the Apostle Paul encourages Timothy uh, to um, be a seminary professor and train others to do uh, his task. Yeah, and he, he, you know, the 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 encouragement, which I think is is something that we all kind of need right out of the gate in in Second Timothy chapter two, is is um, a, what I felt is an interesting construction. Um, you know, you have your typical wording that Paul gives, where he's referring to Timothy as as a son, but then he says, "Be strong in the grace," and we're like, "Okay, I know where this is going," and then he says, "That is in." Christ Jesus instead of through Christ Jesus or from Christ Jesus. Um, I think that's a, an interesting construction when you when he says the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the reason I say that's an interesting construction because I think it harkens back to to Christ's words himself in in uh, John chapter three verse sixteen. Uh, for God so loved the world, and I would this is my translation. For God so loved the world in this way, and He gave His one and only Son. 
that, that God's love, that grace, is seen in this way in Jesus Christ. Um, not only is, is Jesus loving us by grace, but, but God's love ultimately, right, is, is found in Jesus, embodied there, where, where when we say, um, how do I find my strength? How do I find, how do I find this connection with my Lord? And say, it's found in Jesus. Uh, we talked um, earlier this week about, and I'm still toying around with it in my head, and I think we're going to see some of it here in, in maybe the text, um, the trickle-down effect, right, of, of, of uh, the big word of the communication of attributes <laughs> within Jesus, um, where, where the divine nature of Christ is, is communicating attributes to the human nature of Christ. And then we kind of talked a little bit, and we threw out there that idea of what is communicated also to those who are in the body of Christ, because we are in the body of Christ, and so some of those things, those godly things, are communicated to us. And one of those godly things is grace, right? And strength. And strength. Yeah. And strength. Yeah, you know, when you hear those words, be strong, I, I, obviously you can't control how the word of God is going to impact you, but some might look at that and say, well, this is law. Uh, I've got to be strong now. But the Apostle Paul... Uh, always qualifies this is why you are strong because you of the grace that is given to you and also because of Christ Jesus because you are in Christ Jesus the I, the concept of strength the concept of love the concept of patience those are not abstract ideas that are independent of God they God embodies those things in the best way we see a shadow of those things in the world we see people who are even if they don't believe in Jesus they they may be strong or they may be graceful they may be forgiving uh, they may be loving but the, re- the ideal where this all comes from is from God himself. So when Paul tells us and tells Timothy to be strong um, in, the, in the grace, uh, this comes from being in Christ Jesus. It's not an abstract idea independent of God. Right. And so like I said, so I mean, beautiful way to start the conversation today in, in this um, looking at this trickling effect of, of everything originating. Uh, well, as Luther says, you know, Christ from beginning to end. Uh, it originates with him. It comes through him. It's in him. It's 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 given to us because of him. And so now we move into uh, some great encouragement for this seminary professor. Now I wonder. Now I'm just going to toss this out there. Uh, how many years was the difference between First Timothy and Second Timothy? You know, I was going to ask that question because I was like, Will's going to know that answer. I, and, I yeah, well, I think we kind of we kind of settled like, on, didn't we? Like sixty four. Was for First Timothy. So it's like four years, maybe four years. So within four years, he's gone through his own, uh, um, you know, bumps in the road. He's not the young man that he was before. Um, we might say this was like the first four years of the pastor just got out of the seminary. First Timothy one, our first Timothy was he just got out of the seminary. He's in his first congregation, and now he's been beat up. He's been spit back out, and and he's ready on his second congregation or a second stint of, of of air. And he's now in a position where he's he's a little bit more rooted and ready to teach. Yeah, and Ephesus was a uh, a, a central location because. Paul spent so much time there, and uh, the gospel is being spread out in that area. So it was important that uh, Timothy not do all the work himself, but uh, entrust that to others and teach them. So I, uh, he, when are we ready to move on? Yeah, this? let's because he's he's, he's got, got some these, really good illustrations here. Yeah, the the uh, three analogies, and which one is your favorite of the three analogies? <clears throat> um, um, my favorite, I would have to say that that. Um, because I'm I'm really not a farmer, um, and if you've seen me, I'm not a runner. Um, 
<laughs> someone's chasing me. <laughs> I, I would have to say that my, my favorite is the soldier. Um, and that only because, in, in, in all fairness, my brother is a soldier, uh, was, was um, Navy. My dad uh, enlisted Army. Um, so, I mean, the soldier resonates with me. Yeah, and that's an interesting analogy where you're not a fa- uh, a soldier is encouraged not to entangle in the affairs of everyday life, but he's going to please the one who is uh, who is right above him, the one who has enlisted him, the one which is has so many applications to the pastor. Uh, I was telling Will before I got started, it's like this this chapter really kind of beat me up as I'm studying it because at, right now I'm I'm doing a ton of things that aren't ministry of the word related but are needed to be done um, i have a congregation that's closing and uh, so there's all kinds of other things lots of communication lots of ministry being done but it's not really ministry of the word I and mean, i'm serving god's people and helping them uh through this difficult uh, transition but there's not a whole lot of time in the in the word i mean we're it so that's the part where it just kind of slays me like man all this busy work that i'm doing isn't really the work that uh, god has called me to do but it also, I like the other facet of of, uh, of a soldier and a pastor, that analogy is the idea of, as a pastor, you're called to one location, and uh, and you're called to a certain group of people, and sometimes, especially with our internet age, we're, and the ability of our sermons and services to be broadcast over the internet, there's a temptation there for pastors to think broader than what they've been called. Um, and so this is a reminder as a soldier, you're, you've got your commanding officer, you have your orders right here. You're, you're not, you're not tasked with the defeating the enemy all by yourself, but you've got your little area of expertise, your little area that God has called you to be faithful to that area. Well, and you know, it's interesting that you brought that up because we, you know, you talk about the soldiers and you, and you made that really good uh, connection that, you know, he's only, his only real concern is doing the work that, that was been entrusted to him by the one who's directly above him. And, you know, you, you think about that and, and you can think about that as a pastor in two different ways, right? You can think about our call um, that we received through the congregation who holds the, 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 the preaching and teaching ministry uh, and, and they, they give to us this overarching, wide responsibility of preaching and teaching and administering the sacraments and equipping the saints for service, right? Um and so we look at that and we say, okay, well, I'm answerable to the, the, the council, I'm answerable to the congregation. Um, but, but I think what, what Paul is saying is, is really he's taking us outside of that even, and he's, he's putting us in, into a hierarchy where he says there's, there's the triune God and then there's you. And, and you're ultimately answerable to him. Um, and I, I just think back to, you know, um, Nathan, who who did not, Nathaniel, who wanted to, Nathan wanted to go and, and talk to David, had to talk to David, didn't want to talk to David, talks to David, uh, preaches the law to him, and David says, uh, you know, because really David had sinned against Bathsheba, David had sinned against Israel, but he says, I've sinned against the Lord. You know, there's this direct connection um, that that I'm really answerable not to, although yes, in a meager way, I'm answerable to everybody else, but I'm really answerable to God Himself. I'm answerable to to the one who has called me and placed me into this position, and and that should be something about our preaching. Um, I'm not going to get con- you know if I'm in, if I'm in a conversation with somebody, what should be my first concern? My first concern and focus should be um, how am I going to bring this back around to Jesus? How am I going to bring this back around? And I know some people are like, well, you're preloading your conversations. Yes, I I I think you know any good any good conversation is preloaded and thought out and saying, where do I want to go with this? Um, you know, you're, you, you don't, 
you don't stumble into conversations um, without a purpose, right? Very, very, very few times. Um, because any decent conversation is going to be with someone you know. And, and, and so you have a purpose to talk with them. What is your purpose? I mean, if your purpose is just to, to chew the fat and, and to not talk about anything in general, what did, what did you accomplish, right? Um, and I think he's kind of talking about that. Yeah, he definitely is talking about that when he's talking about the athlete. You know, yeah, athlete's going to go according to the rules. As a pastor, what are we going to use as a pastor as we're engaging with people? We're going to use the word of God. and We're using the means of grace. That's what we should be talking about. So when we're having these conversations as a pastor, uh, the rules are we need to talk about Jesus. Uh, this is the power that's going to uh, affect uh, God's people. So, so here's, lives a, of others. here's a question I have for you. Do you find these three illustrations <clears throat> are just different enough that they, they really hit every aspect of the pastoral life? Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, it, there is a lot more to these analogies than, than meets the eye. Uh, and uh, could it, does it cover every responsibility that a pastor has in a congregation, I well, I'm not saying every responsibility, question. but but it, it, I think it covers three broad swaths of it, doesn't it? Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, um, my favorite was the hardworking farmer, not because uh, I, I claim to be a farmer by any means, but just the idea of uh, receiving the first share of the crops. And some commentators have looked at this and said this is a re- reference to those who uh, preach the gospel should make their living from the gospel, as it's as if um, those who um, are in the the ministry should be supported by that ministry. You can look at that and look at that as part of this. You can also look at it in terms of, as a pastor, what do you get to do? You get to be in the Word, and it, first of all, it feeds you. And first of all, it, it is uh, you receive the first first fruits of that uh, study as you're studying God's Word. Uh, so many times, your are my best sermons are the ones where I'm preaching to myself. Or the, oh, absolutely. Um, when I'm, my wife can definitely tell. She's like, I, I could tell uh, this, uh, this meant a lot to you because I'm, because she knows me really well. So she, like, when, it, when the law comes, she's like, oh yeah, he's. <laughs> he's talking I can, about I can pick out those parts. I know exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> right. Nobody else knows this is. <laughs> Quick, give me a piece of paper. I'm gonna write this one down to remind him. <laughs> yeah. <all right>. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but, it, but, that, but, but I, I, I think those. I, I think those three they they do hit um and and it's a wide a wide swath of of the pastoral ministry but but he talks about the soldier right first not being involved in the in the day to day minutia of 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 the life not saying that they're not important but this is not his calling and then he goes on to the he goes on to the athlete and he says the you know they follow a a set of rules right for their life that keeps them competing. And we do, and here's the scriptures. These these are the set of, they're, they're the rules of love that God has given to us in Christ that we now get to embody as as we are freed to engage with it. And then he goes on to say, um, now not even even more than that, um, the very study of, of that word, the very being in of that word, um, and I like how you put it, it affects me first. You know, if... If I'm not affected by the gospel, if I'm not affected by even the law that I'm preaching first, how am I going to be able to relate that to someone else, and how am I going to be able to give that to someone else? Um, and and so I think these are beautiful illustrations that open up wide how a pastor really is 
is supposed to be focused on his job, and he is supposed to be following the 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 rules laid out for us. And how do we do this job? And and then also realize that this job affects us first, and that's okay to be affected on it first. And and that to me is beautiful. I mean, that's a a good stark reminder. I think. Sure. And then as the uh, tip as Paul is looking back on his life, uh, you might say. I think perhaps we've talked about this before with uh, in the pastoral epistles of Paul looking back on his life and saying, um, and Timothy saying, well, if that's what's looking, if that's what I have to look forward to, to being chained, to being in jail, to be in prison, to be suffering, uh, is it all worth it? And and the apostle Paul says, of course it's worth it for God's word, even though if I am chained like a criminal, God's word is not chained. The ministry that we are doing is an awesome and powerful thing that's beyond us and not uh, contained just by uh, our person. Well, and I think he he paints this in a really in a really fabulous way because he reminds us without telling us, he reminds us of Jesus' death. Um and and Paul is saying, "I'm I'm just chained." But Jesus rose from the dead, which means he died. <laughs> You know, so I mean, he's 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 really harking back to the humanity of Christ, and he's harking back to this is God incarnate, um, and and that we have here uh, a God perfect from all creation, from all eternity, um, dying for us and rising, and I'm I'm just get the privilege of being chained. I I mean, that's that's yeah, it's it's not pleasant, but. Um, my savior is risen. Um, and, and then, and actually, and as you sort of introdu- introduced it, I'm going to say my favorite verse, mm. my favorite verse of this entire section, cause it's here right now is, is really not a full verse. It's the second half of, of verse nine, um, where, where he says, I'm okay with, I'm suffering even to the point of being a criminal. But then he says, but the word of God is not chained. And, and I think that is such a powerful, thing for us to realize is that the word of God is not hemmed in. The word of God is not contained only for a certain period or a certain time or a certain people. Um, the word of God is not limited. The word of God is living and life-changing and is not constrained by anything um, because it is a powerful, very, very powerful thing um, that creates and it does what it says it's going to do and it produces what it says it's going to produce and um, creates what it demands. And that is an awesome thing that is unchained. Um, and to me, that's my favorite verse in this section. It is a good verse. Uh, it was not my favorite, but I I like it. Well, it's because it's unchained I can endure all things. <laughs> See, I can do all these things because this word is unchained. That's See, unchained. That it, it all is... It, He's it, gonna... <laughs> it just... I'm telling you. I'm telling, and if the word is God, if the word is Christ, my favorite verse is Christ. So we, we're talking about Christ again, which is what you were talking about in the introduction. Yep. Um, so, so now he moves on, and he he um, he adds a little injunction here, and I, I um, he he it gives this verse eleven. I want your your take on it because I did do some some digging around as to where this comes from, and I I'm not necessarily satisfied with with all of it. Um, but he says in verse 11, this is a trustworthy saying, or this saying is trustworthy. And then he gives this, the saying, he says, indeed, if we have died with him, we will live with him. If in, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And if we deny him, he will also deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. 
and um, just every commentator that I have read so far, and and I myself, I haven't been able to find it, doesn't know exactly where this comes from. And so there's there's some ideas that this is like a a, a poem or a hymn that was popular at the time. Um, it I mean it does carry some some roots from um, you know James a little bit, um, but it's you know I I, I just wonder uh, where this came from or if you found out anything about where this came from. I did not find any, but I really like it because it builds up so well. Like it makes it sound like uh, it's all up to us, and then at the very end, oh no, it's not all up to you. <laughs> if we are faithless, he's faithful. He's faithful because he cannot deny himself. It's all. It always comes back to even if we, uh, um, God's activity in this world is not dependent on our activity in this world. So God is going to continue to be faithful because that's who he is. God is the one who makes promises and keeps them regardless of whether God's people are keeping them. Um, he will keep his promise. doesn't matter what we do. Yeah, in fact, the uh, formula of Concord, the solid declaration. So we're we're going old school on this one now. Um, Back to the confessions, Um, they would write uh, in regard to this verse, if actually in in regard to these words, that uh, God is unchangeable in his will and essence. Um, That's what the the formula of Concord Solid Declaration would say, that that God is unchangeable in his will and in his essence. In other words, um, by, by, so explaining that comment, and I think this is what it's, why they have it here, is not only is the will of God unchangeable, so God's not 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 desiring one thing one day and then changing what he desires another day and how he wants it to go about. So that's unchanging, but the very essence of God, in other words, the very qualities and that that make up who God is are unchanging. Um, so God is always gracious. God is always faithful. God is always merciful. God is always just. God is always uh, jealous for his people. Um, God is always all of these things, um, and they never change. And that is a really hard concept for us to grasp and to get our heads around because we think in our head, and this is this is maybe following your line of thought, we think in our head that if I do X, Y, Z, God will respond with ABC. ABC. And so God must be changing. or I can man- manipulate him. or Right, right. Um, and, and we start looking at some of these uh, aspects and, and people will start pulling things out of scripture, like, you know, parts of scripture where it says, well, you, uh, you do not receive because you do not ask. See, ha, if I don't ask, then God won't do. That's not the context and that's not, not the desire that God has. Um, you know, so we go back to the main will of the Lord, right? The, the, the will of the Lord, the desire of the Lord is for all to come to the knowledge of the truth of, of Jesus Christ. That is his overarching will and desire. Yes? Yes. So if that is his overarching will and desire, he goes about doing this in the world and presenting him in the world. And how does he do that? And I think sometimes we 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 put our own desires onto onto God and say he must have those desires as well and then he they must change as much as ours change and that's not it. His ultimate desire is that you know his son. And so he will he will he he pushes and pulls and allows and and prohibits things in life to always direct you to a point where you're going to come in contact with the cross. And that never changes, ever changes. And that's a good thing. 
Yep. Uh, God doesn't play favorites either. So it's not like uh, if I do these things, now I'll have more blessings from God or, or our country will be more blessed because of this, that, or the other thing. God does, God does things because that's who he is. Yeah, and 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 that there you go. And I think that is the hardest thing for us to understand that he does things not because of any any external motivation. He mm-hmm. does things because this is who he is. He still wants us to pray to him. He still wants us to talk to him. And uh, the events in this life might be might change because of our prayer, but that doesn't mean that God changes. Uh, he remains who he is. Absolutely. And so now Paul reminds him if we're if we're kind of ready to start a move our way down the, the text, he reminds uh, Timothy to remind people of these things. Yeah, fight about those things, but don't fight about the vocabulary words and when people who are trying to manipulate uh, the conversation to lead people away from Christ through vocabulary and through using the same words but not the same definitions as are given to us in the scriptures. Yeah, he uses the word correctly handling, right? Um, and and I, I actually wanted to discuss this with you, and I think it's a good time to, to bring this up. You know, we are, uh, you and I both agree that words mean things, and, and words are important. Um, but I think maybe we would both agree that sometimes, sometimes you know, you have to abandon a word, Um because it no longer carries the right meaning or because it's confusing somebody. And so we have to change. We have to use different words to convey the same meaning because because that one word has too much baggage with it. Do you think that's what's being discussed by Paul here to Timothy? That, that you know, correctly handling this truth doesn't mean getting caught up in, you know that's, what I mean? Uh, yeah, like if... Uh... <laughs> I suppose Christians did that in history, didn't they? They used to be known as followers of the way. Then people kept saying, "No, you guys are Christians. You're following Christ." And then, okay, fine, uh, we'll be we'll be Christians. And so, if you think of if you're thinking of uh, the nomenclature of Lutheran or evangelical, perhaps you know it's we would want to fight and say, "Hey, we're Lutherans. Uh, this is what this is. This is the real kind of Lutheran." Or someone says, "Yeah, I'm Lutheran too," and I go to such and such a Lutheran church, and you say, "Well, that's not my kind of Lutheran." Or someone says to you, "I'm evangelical," and you say, "I don't." You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Uh, you you think it means law because you're you're holding on to four truths, but we think it means gospel that we are proclaiming the the gospel of Jesus. So perhaps it is always time for us. The words mean things, and words are important. Words tie us to the past, but we should not be bound by those words just because of it could be something that is pointless. Where we would say, "Well, uh, our name of our, our congregation, our name of our synod, is something that uh, it we should it should be malleable in our in our minds just because the gospel of Jesus Christ is more important than our nomenclature." Well, and and I and this strikes home with me because I like theological words. Um, I think theological words are a beautiful thing, and so you know, uh, churches with Redeemer on it and um, Calvary, and um, you know, using terms like justified and atonement, and um, you know, those things mean something to me because I I understand what those definitions are, but I also understand that we live in a society where where redemption doesn't really carry the flavor that it once did or um, to be justified doesn't carry the flavor, right, that it once did because people are people are always looking to justify themselves. 
um, the idea of saying I'm right, you're wrong, and that's really not the flavor that that we have in the in in the scriptures to be justified is this declaration of God no longer uh, as the judge thinks of you as guilty. Um, but it even comes down to the some simple terms like grace. You know, we love the word grace, and and I love grace. Don't Mormons tell, love the word grace too? Which that's is where I was going, God. right? Or but, Jesus, the Son of God. Jehovah Witnesses acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, but you say, but they don't. But not not the way Scripture yes, portrays it, exactly. and that's that's what I'm saying. So sometimes we, and this is where I, I kind of pick up on this idea of the chatter, and it becomes like gangrene that spreads because you take this, you take these terms, and we're so set on them, and we fight over them, and we fight over them. But but really, when we should have been saying, okay, no, I'm going to hold to the truth, and if I have to change the word so that I can convey the truth, I'm gonna I'm gonna change the word because apparently this word is a hang up for you, or you're misusing it, and, and so now I will explain it better. Yeah, this is an example of God's word is not chained. It it can't you can't uh, try to figure out that you can lead people away from Christ by changing the definition of words. The word of God is actually has a truth that it actually has information that is unique to itself and can defend itself and can still live even in a society that fights against what it has to say. Well, apparently in the congregation that Timothy was serving in, there were some who did this. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I, I, the Hymenaeus and Philetus. Hymenaeus is mentioned in First Timothy chapter 1, and uh, but Philetus is not, but... We are. I am appreciative of that Paul actually mentions why these guys. I, I'm appreciative of two things. One, he names names like the mafia, like he names name like you watch out for this guy, um, because uh, they say that the resurrection has already happened, and I, I just, um, it just irks me to think of people who would deny the wonderful thing of the body bodily resurrection that there's a bodily resurrection that we're looking forward to um, that but i can understand in the greek culture in the greek times when the body was viewed by uh, the greeks as something evil and the spirit within is something that is good and we have to have that released that they would try to downplay the bodily resurrection but for us living in 21st century, the bodily resurrection is such a wonderful, wonderful uh, thing to look forward to because it, uh, uh, the, the, the things that we enjoy here on earth, uh, we're going to be enjoying some of those things in the, in, the, in the life to come or the things that we like about living on this planet are things that we might be enjoying in the life to come. The, the, the resurrection, the body uh, that we have, um, is going to be resurrected into a body that's glorious and a body that's not doesn't have sin. Like the just the, the I um, just to get personal for a moment. I have uh, I, I'm, I'm deaf, so I have to wear hearing aids all the time, and it it, it really is bother it bothers me from time to time. Maybe with like your um, uh, with with uh, someone in our, of our listeners having a, a a physical disability, where they have to go through their whole life with this with this struggle, and to just this. Just think in your lowest moments when you're all upset about why you're why you've got this, you recognize someday I'm going to be walking around on a new earth with ears that work. Yeah, so much to look forward to. Yeah, almost to the point where you go back to to the Lord, um, you know, saying to the the deaf and the mute, uh, Ephatha, be opened, and and it was opened. Except it will be open forever, not just for a, a moment. Yeah, my 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 ears aren't going to win in the end. It's Christ that's going to win in the end. Right, and there and 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 so you have these guys who are denying 
a very fundamental uh, um, and beautiful truth of Scripture. Um, and I agree with everything you just said, but I would add a challenge to our um, our listeners. And the challenge that I have to our listeners is uh, catch us on Sunday or write in an email on um, what heretical anti-Christian thing would you like to be mentioned about in Scripture for all eternity because you denied it? (laughs) So we have two guys here. The only thing we know about them is they denied the resurrection. (laughs) We all want our 50 minutes of fame. We all want our 50 minutes of fame. Is this what you want to be famous for? Yes. yes. So if you had to be famous for something, uh, for, for, for standing up against God or standing up against the, the, the doctrines of the scriptures for one thing, what would be that one thing that you'd be like, that's my one liner. (laughs) I know that seems like it seems silly, but he will, will Harley will be patiently waiting by his computer, waiting for this email. I will. I, I will be paid. Because, I mean, but think about it. I mean, okay, we all we all are misled because we're in a sinful sinful world. We all have have sometimes maybe weird ideas about theology and about what God says. But when but when you have the scriptures that that detail in such greatness, the 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 bodily resurrection, Job, for instance, in the Old Testament, the um, talking about how how in the end he will stand upon the earth and with his own eyes he's going to see his savior. You, you looking at that and saying there is no bodily resurrection, and yet when when the scriptures say there is, you you don't want to stand on that one. I mean, I mean, there are other places where you could you could probably say this is an open question, and you know that's okay. This isn't an open question. That that it's not a it's not in debate as to whether or not you're going to to bodily rise. God said no, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye, um, you know, at the sound of the last trumpet call, um, all those who are dead are going to rise. Um, so, I mean, this is this is one of those things where where you stand back and you say. I don't know if I would have stood there, um, but they did, and and they get called out, like you said. Yeah, cultural peer pressure is pretty strong when you have a culture that, uh, even today, we think of. Well, let's just, I don't know if this can, connects or not, but just today, when people when people pass away, and what do people say? Well, they're looking down from heaven, or they would really want to be here when you are when you're getting married, or all of those things where. We have all of these cultural, emotional responses when somebody has died. We want comfort, but the real comfort is in the resurrection. The real comfort is in uh, this death is a sad thing, but it's not the end. This death is a is a, a thing that causes tears, but these tears will be dried up eventually. That uh, yeah. God is going to reverse all of this in the future, where we would we are content with so much less to say something like, well, they're still with us as long as we remember them, or you know, they're still longing to be here on this. Why would someone who has died in the Lord want to be here on this world, enduring more of its pain and suffering? Right, and that, and that is the ultimate thing. Why would we want them to be back here to do this? Or, and, and here's the end. I've often thought about that, because you brought that up and you said, said they're looking down from heaven on us. Think, and 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 and. and I, I always think about this. I'm like, oh, wait, wait, wait. That sounds really nice when you do something good. Now just stop for a moment. 
what about when you did something <laughs> bad? bad? Yeah. Oh, they're looking down on heaven now with this disgruntled face because look at what you did. You know, we won't want, I mean, it's always, it's always the good side that we try to highlight instead of the bad side. But, but here's the other comment I want to make about this. And I think sometimes we as, as Christians maybe don't say this clear enough. The reality is heaven is not for you. Heaven is for God. Earth is for you. And, and even when we die and, and our souls go to heaven for a time, it is not for eternity because earth is for us and, and God is going to recreate a new heaven and a new earth and, and earth is still for us. Um, and I think we don't say that enough. I, I think sometimes we, we talk about heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace and, and, that, and, and that, that's true. I do want to see my Savior's face. I do, but he will be with me. Right, uh, he will be the sun, um, the lighting, lighting the great city that God is going to recreate. And I look at this and I say to myself, sometimes we, sometimes we overplay um, the the glories of heaven, and we underplay the glories of 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 the new creation, um, of the resurrection. And and we we say, let's stop it at the spiritual, the spiritual heavenly place. No, let's continue it on to the physical reuniting of my perfect body with my spirit all in the Lord um, and engaging in life the way it was intended to be engaged with from creation before we messed it up. Now without the possibility of messing it up again. <laughs> That's what I'm going to look forward to. Um, and, and, and so these guys, they mess it up and they're leading people away. And Paul gives another piece of hope and comfort, doesn't he? Yeah, he brings it back to your favorite verse where the God's word is not changed where he he brings up the bad news but he's always pairs it with something good well um nevertheless God's foundation stands firm having this seal the Lord knows those who are his and that's a quote from numbers which happens to be my favorite verse of this uh, as I'm thinking back uh God's foundation stands firm doesn't matter what's going to happen doesn't it, it might seem like these false doctrines will have their day and they have their way and it seems like everybody's listening to them but the Lord knows those who are his. And uh, Will and I, you and I have been talking about um, with, a, with myself, with closing a congregation, just to, the recognition of God's flock has always been small. And uh, the Lord knows those who are his. And, and I think a lot of, a, the, as closing a congregation for me as a pastor, there, it, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of mixed emotions and a lot, of, a lot of actual, and it sounds weird to say it, a lot of joy because you're seeing God's people being revealed for who they are, and you're seeing how God's people are have been affected by not by you but by God's word, and how this is important to them that this is God's flock. Uh, I think as uh, when a pastor leaves a congregation, they also have that realization of this is God's flock. When you have that sermon that you're preaching, that you're always saying, you know, the Lord's going to continue to take care of you, uh, and as you say goodbye to that congregation, as you uh, sever those ties that are so strong. And you leave them in the Lord's hands, the realization that this is something awesome that God has created and God has put together and brought together and has used you and you get to be a part of it. Um, but it's it's ultimately all the glory goes to God and his word uh, working in God's people's lives. Well, and and just the fact that, you know, God knows who are who are his and they remain his. And, and in the end, when we are in heaven... Um, and <clears throat> awaiting our bodily resurrection, um, we will be able to see them there and say, hey, I remember 
right? Till we meet again. Till we meet again. Yeah. Uh, I, I, but I re, but when we're there, it won't be till we meet again. Yeah, it will be. I remember. I remember the last time I saw you, and God's grace, grace was sufficient. Uh, this last summer, we had an opportunity to visit uh, the former congregations I served in South Dakota and in Montana. And that was a reoccurring theme that when we got to the end of the conversation, it was pretty much uh, as I visited them, uh, I spent some time with them. It was it seemed like I was revisiting my whole ministry, like the joy of the seeing them and me and seeing and how and learning about how their lives are going. And then um, at in Montana, at least I was able to serve them with God's word. I didn't want to do that in South Dakota because it was too soon. I wanted I didn't want to interfere with the previous pastor's ministry. But in Montana, there was no pastor there. They were. There's a stable of pastors that have been serving them, but to be able to serve them God's word and then at the end to say goodbye and to to entrust them back into the Lord's hands. And that was a reoccurring thing that we said over and over as we visited with members was, you know, till we meet again, uh, this is not the end. We're going to see each other again. Uh, this The Lord knows who are his and we will all be together in the resurrection and living the life that he had always uh, had in mind for us to live before sin mucked it all up. Absolutely. Well, then he he <clears throat> moves us along a little bit. Um, he brings up another illustration that maybe seems a little bit um, hard for us to wrap our heads around. And, and I think if we put it into the context, again, of, of the word, word versus the, the ramblings of, of, of useless people, we, we sort of get this idea a little bit more solidified what he's talking about. He talks about a house, a large house with stuff. And he says there's there's stuff in this house, and some of the stuff is good stuff, and some of the stuff is not so good stuff, and 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 then he moves on from from this illustration, and he, he kind of imports it, and he says, but you're good stuff, right? Um, and he comes back to that trickle down, like where we started, where where these attributes of God now now trickle down into us and make us good stuff. Um, so let's talk briefly about that, and and then. Uh, uh, get to the ending of his chapter two. Um, sure. What do you think? Sure. Um, first of all, I would say it's not, sometimes people would look at this, maybe he's talking about as if it's the body of Christ and it, as in First Corinthians chapter 12, and it's not that. He's talking about Hymenaeus and Philetus again, uh, these two guys who are um, who claim to be of the house of God but aren't, who claim to be uh, in God's family but aren't. They're the wood and clay. The gold and silver is already there. God's word is not chained. Uh, his solid foundation stands firm. But in this visible church that we have, we're going to have some um, bad apples. Yeah, but but like I said, he has that trickle down, right? Um, he sets you, uh, and, and he here's what he says. He says, so if anyone, uh, and we have this idea of cleanses himself through uh, thoroughly from these things, this is talking to the converted. This is not talking to somebody who says, hey, I don't like wicked things. I'm going to change my life all of a sudden. No, he's talking to the ones who are who are converted. What does he say? He says, um, he will be an instrument, honorable use. Okay, those are great. Now, set apart as holy. Well, the only way I'm holy is if if a holy God gives that to me, right? If a holy God gives me that holiness. So that's so my God is holy, therefore the communication of those attributes to me, um, as he, he looks on me and says, I am holy, um, I become useful to him because he has put use into me. Um, I am prepared because he has prepared me. Um, this is some good stuff. I mean, you think about you think about it. It's like your dear listener, dear Christian, never a point in your life are you useless. 
to the Lord. Never is there a point in your life where you are not important and not holy to him um, because of Christ. Never is there a point where you can say, well, I've done my duty and now I'm, I'm, now, I'm now a utensil that is put onto the shelf, an instrument that no longer can be, can be tuned. Um, no, you are a beautiful, beautiful tool. Uh, um, it said it in the most respected way. Not not in the way that maybe our, our generation today would say someone's a tool. Um, but you are an instrument that God uses to share his His grace into this world because he has made you different and he has given to you qualities of himself so that you can be this witness. Yeah, uh, what an awesome thing that God has made us to be. And uh, even as God has made us to be, it is also encouraging us that uh, we could lose it. So uh, flee from all of the uh, sins and temptations of this world that the fight the good fight of faith, which probably would be in a different chapter of Second Timothy. But uh, regardless... Um, He's priming the pump for that one, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, priming he, the pump. And he's saying pursue, pursue the godly, um, godly gifts, uh, righteousness, faith, love, peace, um, all of those things that, that, that find their, their ultimate vision in Christ, in God. Yeah, and as uh, Paul wraps up talking about this seminary professor and how he should be instructing those who are under his care to proclaim and uh, what things he should be avoiding, uh, the the quarreling of over uh, terminology that uh, doesn't lead anyone uh, to Christ. Uh, I, I like in verse 25 where he talks, God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Going back to... Yeah, Timothy, you're going to do all this work, but really the ultimately the work that you're doing is God's work through the word. God may call them to repentance. It may work. You may be successful. I think that was uh, one of the things I forgot to talk about with all the analogy of the soldier and the athlete and the farmer. Not once is he talking about the soldier who wins or the athlete who wins the the award or the farmer who who has a bountiful crop. It's it's that's not the point because that's all not in our control. God has called us uh, in this world to be His witness and to uh, to live our lives um, because of what He has done for us and uh, the holy people of God. But in 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 the end, the end result is always in God's hands. Well, and I and I just want to, as we come to an early close, because I have some things I have to to do today as well. Um, unfortunately for our listeners, we're not going to go the full hour. But but one of the things I'd, I want to make a comment on, and that that I think is important for us to understand, and I think Paul brings it out so beautifully here. You know, I I have been approached by many many people, Pastor. What can I do for my child? or my relative or my friend who doesn't believe? What can I do to, to convince him? And I think we live in this, this and, and, and I'm going to say it's maybe uh, um, comes from a, a very Protestant Reformed slant that has said that somehow we can argue someone into the faith. And, and I think Paul just, just squashes that instantly right now. And, and he, he turns back to, to Timothy and he says, Timothy, your call is to preach the sound word of God. Your call is to, to, to correctly handle and divide the law and the gospel and to let the gospel predominate in your preaching. That is the instrument that you are meant to be. You are not the Holy Spirit. You are not me. You cannot do what I can do and you cannot change hearts. Only I can do that. 
And so, dear listener, I, I will be, I'm going to say this officially and, 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 and I will continue to say it till my dying breath. There is no silver bullet that will all of a sudden change a heart from one of stone to one of life. There is God's law and there is God's gospel and you preach it and you share it and you live it in your life and you leave it up to God. And, and, and if they reject it, it is their fault. And and if and if they are changed, it is to the God's glory that they are changed. And that really wraps up uh, our chapter. As we start, we began our chapter by saying, "Be strong." Well, be strong in what? Be strong in Christ Jesus, who is the Word, the unchained Word that will not uh, be swayed. It won't be defeated by any kind of false doctrine. It will be that firm foundation that will reach out to God's people and and bring His flock to the glorious resurrection that God promises. <laughs>